Good morning, church. The beloved church of God. It's good to be here, opening up his word. If you're a guest here this morning, um, está en casa. You're at home. Okay, so we're, we're grateful that you're not only uh, visiting us here, but that we're opening up the word with you as well. Have you ever washed someone's feet? It could be scary. Um, it can be a good thing, but it can be scary. <laughs> I remember the first time I washed someone's feet, and that's my wife's feet. Um, that wasn't a scary moment. <laughs> that was actually the first night of our honeymoon. And the idea was that uh, I just wanted to have a marriage where I knew I served her well. Um, and by the grace of God, I'm learning how to do that. <laughs> um, but washing feet can be real messy. It can be gross. It can be um, something that's really filthy to do. I remember this one, this one classmate. I won't give dates or names. Um, there's no need for that. But um, I remember uh, just... He was a he was a roommate, <laughs> okay? Because you're gonna wonder how I saw his feet. <laughs> but I remember I if if I had to wash his feet, Lord, please, like <laughs> um, just the crust, the the cheese that came out of it. I mean, I'm not gonna get into details, but it, it's a toe it's the toe jam, <laughs> and you don't spread that on your bread. <laughs> I'm thinking, Lord, you know, you're, you're really going to have to give me some extra love here. <laughs> um, and, 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 and so anyhow, uh, you know, serving others can be hard. Um, serving others can be real dirty. Um, it, it, it's, it's interesting. Um, we like serving people who are like us. We like serving people who look like us, who appear clean who um, we feel comfortable with. But truth be told, we don't like serving people who don't look clean, do we? People who, who we're not, who we don't jive with well. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at Jesus once again. And we're going to be looking at a characteristic of him that the Gospel of John chapter 13 gives us of Jesus as a humble servant. Jesus, a humble servant. If you haven't turned to John chapter 13, which is the portion of scripture we were just reading, um, you can go ahead and do that now. And if you don't have a Bible, feel free to turn there in front of you or on your phone. But as you do that, can I just pray for us and ask God to speak to us? Father, thank you that, um, that you have revealed your love for us. And God, you revealed that through your very self, Jesus Christ. We've seen your image, Lord, appear through the letters of your word. You, the word of God, the very gospel, makes himself known through the scriptures. 
So we thank you for the way that you reveal yourself to us, but the way that you also constantly are washing your children's feet. Lord, would you let us taste the goodness of that this morning? It goes against our grain. It really does, but it's sweet. So this we pray. Meet us in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, the context, as we look into John chapter 13, it's as such. uh, Jesus has been now ministering for three years, and uh, he's been healing people. He's been touching them. He's been speaking forth the gospel, a good news concerning himself. God making himself a servant and transforming lives through his service, through his word, through this message of the good news. But as we land on John chapter 13, Jesus' final week now has just arrived. And what I mean by his final week is the week of his coming death, of his suffering. The cross now awaits him. And on Sunday, Jesus had entered Jerusalem on a young donkey. And he had received the many praises of the people he had touched, the lepers he had healed, the woman who struggled with a sin to be accepted and was given forgiveness, the paralegic, the ones who had been despised by society were now worshiping him. And their words were, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They had recognized who their king was. And he said, peace in heaven and glory to God. Luke tells us that in Luke chapter 19. Well, that was Sunday. Monday, he cleanses the temple in Jerusalem. And then Tuesday, he begins to get into some scuffles. You see, the, the religious leader were, were seeing him and had, had been seeing him as a threat. A threat to their religiosity. They didn't like the fact that Jesus was preaching a message, a message preached of him being the way to the Father, back to God, God making himself known in the flesh and offering forgiveness of sin. They despised that. But Wednesday, as he probably rested, he anticipated Thursday. And Thursday is where we land in John 13. It was close to evening, and again, it's Jesus' final week before the cross arrives, and he's eating dinner with his disciples. It's the last full meal that he'll have with them prior to dying for them. And as he's eating with them, it's interesting what occurs. You would think they would catch the moment. You would think they would catch the times that he taught leading to John chapter 13 as they were now in Jerusalem, that his time had come, that his hour was drawing near. For Jesus had mentioned it many times. But they don't. And it is here where we start off by seeing, if you're taking notes, the heart of of a servant. The heart of a servant for us. 
verses 1 through 3 tell us that as that evening rolled, the night before Jesus was betrayed, falsely tried and convicted and nailed to a cross, we find his disciples doing what? They were fighting. They were bickering. It tells us that they were fighting over who would be the greatest. <laughs> After being with Jesus for three years, you would think they would know something about serving and about being second. But they were fighting over who would receive the most glory. And as they were at the dinner table, Luke tells us in his gospel, chapter 22, that a dispute, verse 24, alone arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And how does Jesus respond? Well, and he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. In other words, you want to be great? That's good. Be a servant. Martin Luther King Jr. had a great message on this. It's called the Drum Major Instinct, if you haven't heard it. It was given in 1968 on February 4th at Ebenezer Baptist Church. And the whole premise is that of this chapter. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be great. But whose greatness are you looking for? And Jesus says, it is my greatness. The way you become great, quote unquote, is by serving. And this was a principle that Jesus had taught them just days before again. I mean, how could they have forgotten, right? In Matthew chapter 20, he says, Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. So John tells us that Jesus, knowing that they were not only thinking of themselves and of their glory, he chose to what? Becky read the portion of scripture for us this morning. And she mentioned in these first three verses what Jesus does. He chose to love them to the end. Meaning Jesus loved them all along throughout his whole ministry. But at this very hour, at this very moment, all the way on to his suffering, he was going to stretch, manifest to them the extent of his love to the very end by giving his very own life. Now, before we see how Jesus loved his disciples, I want us to see what propelled him to love this way. And you know, there are a few things that I think we can take note that Jesus knew. We can take note for ourselves. For Jesus knew three things. And the first thing that Jesus knew was that his hour had come. Verse 1 tells us that Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart. Jesus had not come to live for himself. You see, the purpose 
of God coming to earth was to reveal not only his delight to us, which he has for us, but also the saving work that he has for us. And that is in the person of Christ. See, he, he, he desired in the very essence of who he is manifested in Jesus Christ to do a redemptive work. And it was a work that could only be done through him, through Jesus. A work that would display the amount of love that he needed to express to a creation that had lost its way. A creation like you and I that needed to be shielded from his righteous judgment. Offering forgiveness to all who would believe in Christ. Jesus came to die so that we might live. The suffering and humble servant came for that. So Jesus knew that his hour had come. But Jesus not only knew that his hour had come and that he would be facing the cross here in a few hours, but he also knew who he was and where he was going. Jesus knew who he was and where he was going. He tells us here that he had come from God and was going back to God. Now let's back up a bit uh, because this can be a little bit confusing. What do you mean Jesus is God? We've been looking at his Christology, but yet he's coming from God and going back to God. Like, what does that mean? Well, you know, Jesus made claims really higher than any other teacher. Claims that were much greater than Buddha or Muhammad. You see, Buddha and Muhammad never claimed to be God. As a matter of fact, they despised being seen as an angelic being. But not so with Jesus. Jesus made himself repeatedly in his claims known to be as God. And this is something that he does both directly and indirectly. Indirectly, we've seen through our time together how in Mark chapter 2, he chose to use his power to display the forgiveness he offers to all who would come to him. In John chapter 6, he demonstrates the power to give eternal life. And in Mark chapter 4, he holds the power and authority to actually judge the world. Friends, these are the things that only God can do. And then he was very verbal and very direct as to how he would make himself known as equating and being God. In John chapter 8, he says the words, before Abraham was, I am. Those are the very same words, the I am, that God gives to Moses when he's meeting with them at the burning bush. And Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. John chapter 12, to see me is to see God. Mark chapter 9, to receive me is to receive God. In John chapter 14, he says, No one comes fully or truly to the Father except through me. Now, at first, when we hear these words, we're, you know, we're, it, 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 it's hard to catch 
how Jesus is God. But did you know that for ancient listeners, this was something that they would, that they would grab rather easily. They understood these words of Jesus as saying he was God. See, back then, if you were the only son of a father, you would inherit all the wealth, all the status, and all the position of your father. And that's why every time he would say such things as coming from God, as I am God, as no one sees the father but through me or goes to the father but through me, they wanted to pick up stones and kill him. Jesus said, I am the father. I and the father are one. We're the same. He says, I am God. But Jesus did not only know who he was, he also knew where he was going. You see, Jesus wasn't lost. You know, he's now 33 years of age. He had done three years of extensive ministry. And now at his final hour, he knew not only where he had come from, but where he was going. That he was going back to God. Not saying that he had ceased being God while on earth. But that even though as the God-man he would suffer greatly. Leading to his death. The cross would not have the final word. The cross would not be his final destiny. He would resurrect and ascend back to his dwelling place as God the Son. For God the Father had given all things all authority into his hands. I like the words author Thomas Torrance uses in his book, A Passion for Christ, the vision that ignites ministry when he writes these words. There is, in fact, no God behind the back of Jesus, no act of God other than the act of Jesus. No God but the God we see and meet in him. Jesus Christ is the open heart of God. The very love and life of God poured out to redeem humanity. The mighty hand and power of God stretched out to heal and save any sinner. All the things are in God's hands. And it is these hands, he writes, the hands of God and the hands of Jesus in life and death, which are the same. The hands of Jesus are the hands of God, and he has come to wash and rescue. So because Jesus knew why he'd come, who he was, and where he was going, what does he do? He displays the depth of his love for his own. And he does it in such a sharp contrast. While his disciples were jousting over who would be number one, what does the Lord and King do? He grabs the towel and abase it. So Jesus in verse 4 says, rose from supper, 
laid aside his outer garments and taken a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured out water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. You know, Jesus doesn't just share with us the heart of a servant, but he shares with us the work, the labor of a servant. And he shows it to us here. I mean, can, can you picture this? You know, if, if, if you and I were sitting, reclining on a table, having our last supper with our master, our rabbi, our teacher, could you picture the creator washing your feet? The creator of the world washing the creation's feet. The honorable rabbi washing the feet of his bickering followers, us. The selfless savior even washing the feet of the one who would betray him, Judas. Now the love of God is great. And again, we see it palpable though. We see Jesus making himself known, his love manifested in us in a very palpable, I touch you way. It's a down-to-earth kind of love. It's a meeting us where we're at our dirtiest. This is God. This is Jesus taking the role of a servant, and he does it with a basin and a towel. Now, this is a conundrum of, of, of high status and, and humble behavior. I mean, and, and, and this rubbed the wrong way. Who specifically? Peter. See, Peter had a hard time with this. And I think if we're honest, we're going to be seeing ourselves in Peter. Because Jesus came to Simon Peter, verse 6 tells us, and he said to him, Peter said, Lord, do you wash my feet? See, Peter here is, is, is resistant. He's reluctant. And, 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 and understandably so. I mean, this is his master. This is his teacher. He's, he's been learning from him how to, what, what authority looks like, what power looks like, what, what loving looks like. But, but this is his teacher. This is his Jewish master rabbi. And how could he wash Peter's feet? So Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you do do, or what I am doing, you do not understand now. But afterward, you will understand. But it's interesting, you know, what, G, what, 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 what Peter does, isn't it? You know, you would think that Peter would, would, would stop and say, well, okay, Jesus, I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to let you wash my feet. But Peter doesn't. As a matter of fact, Peter becomes stern. He almost becomes belligerent. And he says, you shall never wash my feet. You know, here in, 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 in Peter's words, he, he actually uses a double negative in the Greek, which says, Jesus, you will not wash my feet, not now and not ever. In infinity. So no way, Jose, will you wash my feet. 
And now at first glance, you know, we might think, well, maybe Peter is just being humble. Maybe there's a sense of like meekness with a, with like a pinch of zeal for Jesus. But that's not what he's communicating here. As a matter of fact, if we dig deeper, we would discover something else. And what we would discover is that Peter wasn't resisting Jesus because he was humble. Peter was resisting Jesus because he was prideful. See, pride can be hard to spot because it can hide behind humbleness. The virtue of humbleness, at least. Pride is humility's evil twin. It's counterfeit to humility. And Peter had a pride problem. You see, pride does not kneel. It cannot bow nor take a knee, for it sees no need to surrender. Absolutely none. Why should I? Be submissive? Come under? See, pride has a hard time being weak. It cannot be weak. You see, pride will say, oh, let me help you. I'll give you a helping hand. But don't you dare think I'm in need. You're, you, 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 you're, in, you're in need of, 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 of some resources? Well, here, I'll, I'll, I'll help you. What makes you think I need resources? Let me display great charity to you. But deep down inside, it grumbles. Don't you dare give me any charity. See, pride is good at opening up a soup kitchen and giving handouts. But pride will never be good at serving the soup, coming down, and eating that very same soup with those who are needy. But that's what we see Jesus doing. Brother and sister, I think if we're honest, the same thread that runs through Peter runs through us all. Through you, through me. Peter is speaking our native language. Pride. Listen, I think if we're Again, if we're, if, we're, if we're genuine, if we put down all pretenses and just, you know, it's harder for us to seek God, isn't it? It's harder for us to say, to stop, to rest, and say, I need God, and not for my benefit, but for your glory, God. I mean, we'll teach our Bible studies on God's grace. We'll serve the needy in our community for him. We'll show hospitality even to our neighbor and, and the foreigner and even give resources to his cause. But to see Jesus kneeling before us and to be recipients of his charity, care, and grace and living in that place, that's hard. We'd rather wash other feet than have Others wash ours. So I think we would say the same thing as Peter. Lord, I'd do anything for you. Right? Those are Peter's words. Lord, I'd do anything. 
but you shall never wash my feet. Well, the good news is that Jesus knows this is a constant battle inside all of our hearts. He knows. He knows the struggle we have to receive a love that's not our own, a love that depends not on our usefulness, on our beauty, on our performance, on how religious we look, whatever that appears like. And that's why Jesus answered Peter the way he did. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And this hit Peter like a ton of bricks. Why? Because Peter knew who he was. Peter knew who who Peter was, who Simon specifically was, prior to Jesus reaching out to him and saving him, calling him to himself. And Peter is saying, to be that who I was and to live life without you? Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head, like all of me. Because I would dread being the person I was before you saving me. But Jesus responds to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. But it's completely clean. And you, Peter, you are clean. But not every one of you, as he looked around the room, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. What is Jesus saying here? There's an imagery that Jesus is alluding to in the foot washing that actually is pointing to the cross and the work that he's going to do that. And that imagery is that Jesus' washing of his disciples' feet anticipates symbolically the washing that is accomplished by his work at the cross. And what, is he going to pour water out of the cross? No, he's going to pour his very blood for the forgiveness of their sin. And that's why he tells Peter while washing his feet that he's going to understand later. Later, like in a few hours. See, the apostle Paul caught this in Philippians chapter 2. And he actually, we, we see a parallel here between John chapter 13 and Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, when Paul says, Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he, Christ Jesus, was in the form of God. Look at this. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to hold on to and say, no, I will not go and I will not save those who are lost, your very creation. No. But look at what he did. And here we go. Here we start seeing this correlation. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form with, with flesh, with blood, with, with actual two eyes and, and a mouth. And 
What did he do? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on Jesus the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now I'm going to have to pause here because I can't help but appeal what I think Jesus in John chapter 13 and even Paul in Philippians chapter 2 is appealing to us. And that is the first thing of if you have not washed, been washed by Jesus this morning, then Jesus is looking to wash you with his blood. If you're wondering whether Jesus can really forgive your sins because your sins are many, the way that you, 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 you have just committed cosmic treason through your very heart and through your very thoughts and deeds to God is great. Jesus is saying, I've come to wash those. I've come to kneel down and to wash what you could never wash for yourself. As a matter of fact, I've come to wash with my very blood something which you think you may not even think you need washing for. And Jesus is saying, I come and I desire to wash you and forgive you through my work. So I believe the question this morning for you, if you've never been washed by the blood of Jesus, if you've never trusted that his sacrifice at the cross for you was, was enough to cover you and make you right before God, then the question is, might you just let him wash you? All you got to do is say, yes, wash me. But I think there's another appeal here and like Peter, if you have already been washed by the blood of the Lamb, church, remember the same words that Jesus told Peter. You're clean. You've been washed. You've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. You are His. You've been completely forgiven by Him at the cross. His blood was sufficient. Not your effort to desire to be clean. His work was sufficient. Do you believe that? If you believe it, then confess your sin and trust in him. And this is, we know this is an ongoing thing of recognizing our own darkness, our own pride and saying, Jesus, I need for you to remind me of how clean you are making me as your son and as your daughter and just rest sit let him do that work in you what jesus doesn't just share with us his heart and his work but he also gives us a call he gives us the call of a servant and we'll read verses 12 through 17 when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? 
You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is no greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. See, Jesus had laid out a blueprint of what a servant looked like. And he didn't just preach as a humble king's servant to those who were his. He showed what a servant does. And now he gives us that same calling and challenge as his followers. And I've just placed two, two calls here, but maybe you can put more. But I think the first one that we need to make sure we get right is the calling that he calls us as his followers to come and believe. Not to first go and do, but to remember who we are and whose we are. To come and believe that he's served us with his life and death, that he's brought, bought us at a great price. And why? Because he stubbornly loves us. Stubbornly loves you and me. Because you're valuable and because you're his. And so this is true. We are clean because he's washed us by his blood. He's made you new. He's called you his own. And he's now deposited his very self in the person of the Holy Spirit to guarantee not only your new name, but that you're his. That nothing could ever release his grasp from you. That there is no sin too great or no darkness too small. That there is no power of hell and no circumstance that you take or that's given to you to release you from his loving grasp and from what his blood has bought. Nothing at all. You're secure. Drink from his security. He's made you new. He's invested himself in you. And he'll bring you home. He's guaranteed that he will finish that work that he's begun. Man, I love that verse. He's going to cleanse you thoroughly. So you've come this morning as a child of God who's trusted in Christ and you're finding yourself real filthy this morning, guess what? See yourself through the lens of Christ. He sees you clean. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful. Wait a second, but, but don't I have to be faithful? Like, don't I have to muster up enough religiosity and enough goodness to say, okay, Lord, now I can come before you. Now I can go to church. Now I can open up the Bible because I feel clean. 
No. He says part of coming to the cross is remembering whose you are and in that process confessing, confessing that the struggle is real but that he's greater than our struggle. That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and I love this, to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Keep coming to this promise, church. Keep coming to it. The Christ daily foot washing. Confess and trust. But secondly, I think there's a second calling here. And that's a call to go and represent in service. That we're no longer our own. That we're his. That we've been bought at a price. That we aren't living for ourselves, but that we're living for him and through him. A call to go and represent in service. But because we're now representatives of Jesus, we need to go and serve others in the same way that he has tangibly served us. And it wasn't just his death, it was his whole life. His death, resurrection, ascension, and one day we'll be glorified. That's the complete work of God. For Jesus says, if you know these things, as you've received God's grace and receiving God's grace in Christ and the freedom that you've received and practice that in the way you serve, it's going to be of tremendous joy. Because if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now, there are many ways that we can respond to this call. And I'm just going to give two. I'm sure you can come up with more. But the first one, I think we can respond to this go and represent in service. Is that we can just be relational in our service. Relational in our service to others. There are people who have wronged us. Who have wronged you. That the best way they're going to see Christ is through his reflection of you as a Christian. How in the same way you've been forgiven, you're going to be able to forgive by the grace and power of God working through you. And you're going to say, where does that forgiveness come from? And you know what? You're not going to be able to step back and say, it's not through me. It's through the cross. How, how can I not forgive you? A call to wash their feet. And to do it with a gospel mindset. Because we've received grace. How could we not be dispensers of such grace? You know, church, people who understand and grow in grace are real big dispensers of grace. And that's why we need to be reminded of God's grace. But two, I think we can respond to this go and represent in service by by actually serving here, the local body. You know, after, after the disciples experienced Jesus serving them, just a few days after, what did they do? They not only proclaimed the gospel, but they were known for what? For a lifestyle of service to the gospel and to the brothers and sisters in the church. And some even to others who weren't yet believers. What are ways God has been stirring your heart 
to serve his people in the local church? How has God wired you, gifted you, talented you? What things stir you up that you're like, man, I wish this was happening in the church. And we can do it together. There are ways you can encourage and serve others here, like ESL Outreach Ministry. You know, helping someone learn a new language, like English, and you don't need to learn another language. You don't have to. I mean, some, some of you who are helping us out in that ministry already are doing that. You're learning Spanish, and you're learning French and Hebrew, you know, since we have people from different nations there. But, um, but you know, as I was putting this message together, I was reminded of Adam. Where's Adam? Adam, I'm sorry, I'm going to put you on the spot. Adam. It's been such an encouragement to see this brother, for example, serving our students. And it, the good thing is that you don't have to be all well put together to do that. You just, just got to serve. Uh, bad, uh, bad Apple, Victoria. It's got that ministry over at Pierce. Man, the, 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 the influence that God has given Victoria there is... It's, it's Christ-like. And Victoria will be the first one to tell you, I'm not Jesus. <laughs> I'm just being used as a tool of Jesus. But I didn't know she's looking for help. And I know some of you have even signed up for van driving. Man, that's, that's a way of washing feet. <laughs> Our children's ministry, I think we're, we're looking for some helpers. Did you know that changing diapers can be a way of washing feet? <laughs> Some of you said amen louder than others. Some of the, those, those are the ones that are working in the nursery. <laughs> or maybe visiting our elderly. You know, Peter and I left encouraged um, when we went to visit, uh, not too long ago, uh, Kathleen Lazar. And um, the work that God is doing through her in Haiti. Um, in, in providing funds for a church and for a school over there. You know, you, 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 you come back, and this is what Jesus meant. When you serve others, it's not that you're going to get a blessing from God. It's that you experience the blessings of God because they're already yours in Christ. And so you come out even, even more renewed. You come out more encouraged. I mean, that's how we left Kathleen's house. And say, man, what God is doing through her, through the body. And let me finish up with this. I like the way John Piper puts it. He says, listen, when you see Jesus and what he's done for you and the grace he's poured over you with his blood and how he continues to wash your sin, listen, just go low. Just go low. What does he mean by that? To all believers who have the amazing standing as children of God, and representatives of Jesus. Because Jesus went low, and because going low is the path of joy, and because you are completely clean, don't exalt yourself. Look where service is needed, and go low in humble service. Pastors, let's go low. Elders, go low. Heads of households, Go low. Small group leaders, he writes, go low. Presidents of companies, 
owners, supervisors, managers, go low. Mom and dad, let's go low. Big brothers and sisters, go low. A students, go low. Good athletes, go low. Pretty teenage girls, go low to serve. Christian, go low to represent your Savior, to know his joy. And because you are completely clean, go low. Let's pray. Our great God and Heavenly Father, help us to receive your love, to receive your love on your terms and not ours, and to go on receiving from the love of Christ. Teach us to believe. Teach us to believe in your work for us, in us, and through us. Give us more of yourself, please, and less of us. In your name we pray, our humble Savior and servant. Amen.